electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer America. I'll do one of my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. So we're going to Crate and Barrel this weekend. Get a sectional. Good stuff there. A little pricey. And nice woman comes up to me. She hugs me. She says, please say something good about the banks on your show. I told her to tune in tonight. So here's my nice thing about the banks. Thank you, banks, for screwing up so royally that the Fed became more circumspect about raising interest rates, allowing tons of money to flow into big cap tech stocks that can thrive in a slowdown. After all, a bank fiasco would lead to a tightening of credit that might be equal to as much as a 100 basis point rate hike, maybe more. And that's what allowed the quarter to finish that strong it's why we did okay today, too. Dow gaining 327 points, SP advancing 0.37%, NASDAQ declined 0.27%. Now, I wish I weren't being serious. I wish the banks could somehow negotiate their way to investability, but, but they just won't comply. They're too opaque, too hard to understand, with too many terms of art, too much abstruse accounting, and perhaps most of all, too many darn ways to make mistakes. <laughs> the banks, frankly, have become the pariahs of this market. They're only as good as the weakest link, even if that link is a clown show called Silicon Valley Bank. Or to put it another way, this industry is so crazy that even the one bank everybody trusts, J.P. Morgan, has made a share of mistakes. Yep, J.P. Morgan may be the best house in a neighborhood the house of that seems to get boarded up or blown up every few years, with the regulators always one step behind the tsunami. Sure, there are others that I like. I mean, Colin Frost was on uh, from Texas, hundreds of back years in Columbus, Ohio. Yet it really doesn't seem to matter to their stocks, does it? Either through ETFs or homemade derivatives, the banks all tend to trade together. And right now, that means they tend to trade badly. But let's not speak too ill of the banks, because what they did was hasten the downturn that never seemed to be able to get off the ground. A downturn that won't be defined this time by layoffs, but by an inability to get credit, whether you're a small business owner or just someone who might want to buy a car. We've all been waiting for the Fed's rate hikes to cool down the economy. It hasn't worked. Problem is, they really haven't done anything to be able to keep wage con- sal- salaries under control. It's not enough to get inflation f- just level. 
We need to see wages actually come down. Now, sure, we got legions of Silicon Valley layoffs, but the tech industry tends to be very generous to people they let go. Do you really count as a laid off if Meta's giving you five months full pay? Feels more like a pay vacation. That person double dips, she could be a millionaire by year's end, and most of the engineers and programmers are still so highly sought after that it's easy for them to find work. Sure, we know the startups that got hurt by the closure of Silicon Valley Bank. They had some layoffs. Seems inevitable. But it hasn't in any size been noticeable. The only thing bigger than the cash hoards of these venture capitalists is their egos. The outstanding Ubers per share here makes it so they'll keep funding their pearls rather than admitting that they're swine and moving on. Look, to their credit, they had to put up with this abandoned unicorn rap for ages. But then the queue burst open so wide that all sorts of flotsam and jetsam came public. It seems that the only disgraced Theranos is the one that didn't make it through the shoot. Believe me, if we're up to the Craven Investment Bankers, they simply would have said, hey, why don't we just put a sticker on that Theranos perspective and say, hey, we're still working the kinks out. And then get all the best clients to take some down if they wanted to get what's hot coming after. So what will the slowdown look like now that it's coming from a banking crisis rather than directly from the Fed's rate hikes? Well, this is what this quarter is going to bring. First, there'll be a backlash from the newfound prudence of the small, medium-sized businesses that were once the mainstays of the regional banking business. No law firm, no doctor's group, no accounting firm can keep more than 250000 in any one bank without being sued by someone if that bank collapses and deposits go uninsured. Those are bedrock deposits that are being lost right now by depositors who never really thought of their bank as possibly being in trouble, never check a bank's balance sheet for heaven's sake. Of course, the bank probably really isn't in trouble. But unless each small and medium-sized business is swapping around to another bank and vice versa, there'll be some skittish regulator saying that he wants that bank to make fewer loans until this is all cleared up whatever this actually is. So a home buyer will have to put up more money for a home, which means less money for Sonos or Best Buy or Williams-Sonoma or RH. So a car buyer might have to say, sorry, I can't buy a new car when the cost of financing is double within a year. She'd just rather just keep that jalopy and throw some money at it. So someone who wanted to take a big trip overseas is now visiting Yellowstone in a camper. Nothing wrong with that. My daughter went glamping all over the country. But the simple fact is the glampers don't make the economy go around. Now, today we saw the aftermath of the wild week we just finished with an insane amount of money piling into tech. So much money that it moved up stock prices and bought some better performance for those fortunate enough to lead the charge into the group. That money is now being unwound, which is what happens after a big phony romp like we had. There was a ton of money today that went into oil on a surprise 1.1 million barrel production cutback from OPEC Plus, causing OPEC Plus is like Disney Plus, is that Paramount Plus? OPEC Plus, causing people to wonder why the president didn't stick to his guns and replenish the drastically depleted Treaty Petroleum Reserve at lower levels when he had the chance. Now, I think that money's going to go back. Uh, out of the oils, okay, because I don't think oil has much going for it on the demand side other than China, although China could be very big. But for the most part, today was a day when some money went toward the drug stocks because of the aftermath of the bank disaster, and some money went toward plain old industrials that do better in the late stages of a Fed tightening cycle, especially after these three failed banks may have caused an imputed 100 basis point rate hike. Got to thank the knuckleheads of Silicon Valley Bank and the near-do-well bank examiners for letting that happen. Or maybe we just give them an attaboy for making it so effectively we got four steps closer, 425 basis points, without having to have them. Yes, to that closer to the end of the cycle because they were too incompetent and too timid and too terrible at their jobs to catch and stop the bank run herd around the world. Oh, and the Creighton Barrel thing found a good sectional, cost a ton, made her happy actually had it in stock. Can you believe it? In this world of screwed up supply chains, just being able to buy what you want immediately is borderline miraculous. 
Bottom line, if the Fed's really almost finished raising interest rates at this point, we got the foolish regional banks to thank for creating a situation that's made the stock market a lot more attractive than we thought. Oh, also, thank you, bank examiners, because this early into 2023, who'd have thunk it? Chad in Wisconsin, Chad. Hey, Jim, second time caller, long time listener. Excellent, uh, Chad. I had a stock pick question for you. Very interesting at this point in time between uh, micro and macroeconomic situations, the Fed raising uh, key interest rates, um, right. even geopolitical issues. Okay. Uh, really interesting to hear what your thoughts are on Bank of America, April 18th, is earnings call. Okay, I think Bank of America is going to be fine, but fine may not cut it is the problem. I think this bank group is being once again reviled, and it's going to become one of those groups that people just say, you know what, it's just not worth it. I can't take the pain, including, unfortunately, Bank of America, which is such a good bank and is so well run. Shane in Nebraska. Shane! Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. What's As a up? physician, as a physician, I could not agree more with your position on the tobacco stocks. They are uninvestable. Well, I'm starting to feel the same way with stock of United Healthcare. I know it's been a favorite of yours, huh. and it's been on my list to buy, but I can't pull the trigger because, as a medical director of an inpatient rehab unit, I'm seeing many more denials from UNH for my patients that have managed Medicare plans compared to other health insurers who manage these same plans. I realize we need to rein in healthcare costs, and while this may help the profits of UNH in the short term, Limiting much-needed health care now will only cause higher costs in the long term. And much more importantly, it's limiting access to care for a very vulnerable portion of the senior population. In my opinion, this is, to use your phrase, Jim, ill-advised. Help me with well, my that is ill-advised. You know, you're right. Now, Shane, just so you know, um, I switched to, Uma- to Humana because they had a much better plan. And when I did that, I also put the money from my chapel trust in behind Humana, not United Health. I don't like what you had to say about United Health. I like that you came to us and said this, but that is what I call not even just ill advice. It's also disconcerting. They should be giving you the same. That's just it's just unfair. We live in a country where health care remains unfair. We switched to Humana because the Humana plan was, I felt, better for anyone who's on Medicare. Let's go to Joe in New Jersey. Joe. Hello, Jim Cramer. Uh, Joe, what's I, up? I last saw you at Words Bookstore uh, in Maplewood, New Jersey, when you had a yeah, a that was signing. a nice that was a nice book signing, and they're terrific. And by the way, uh, Arturo's Pizza across the street. I mean, like to die for, okay? Yeah, and get rich carefully, and guess what? It's working. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. That was a nice time. They do a lot, a lot of nice things for a lot of nice people at that bookstore. How can I help? Yes. Okay. Uh, my stock is PSNG. I've owned it uh, for many years. It's my uh, uh, widow and orphan stock. Uh, do I sell or hold it? No, no, buy some. I still like it. 3.72, very solid uh, company. I think that you're doing real well with it. I think public service enterprise is just perfect. Okay. Now, the banks may be the black sheep of this market, but we got to give them credit for potentially speeding up the end of the Fed's hike cycle. And by the way, let's please never stop praising the examiners for doing a terrible job. On Man Money Tonight, right now there's a cohort of stocks trading just five times earnings. So are investors getting suckered into a value trap or are there actual bargains out there? I'm analyzing the refiners to see if their moment in the sun is upon us or if it's already come and gone. It's an exercise in explaining what a value trap might look for. Then I'm running the exact same exercise on the autos and finding out if Ford and GM could be right or wrong. And 
The first quarter is in the rear view, so I'm looking at the winners and losers in the S&P. Get a temperature check on where we stand going to the next quarter. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visited visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. What gives with all the stocks trading at mid single digit price earnings ratios? so many stocks selling at such depressed levels that you have to wonder if something terrible might be looming in the not-too-distant future. Let me set the stage here. I get a lot of callers inquiring about stocks that seem cheap, seem cheap, because they sell at incredibly low price-to-earnings multiples, meaning their stocks trade like their earnings power is about to evaporate. Poof! They look cheap on the surface, and sometimes they really are cheap, but more often they are value traps. What makes them so risky? First, no company sits out to have ridiculously low price journeys multiple. And you want a high multiple because it translates to a higher stock price. How do you end up with a super low multiple? That, this happens in boom and bust industries. For example, if your company makes a commodity, something that's indistinguishable from the competition, and we get an economic downturn, your earnings will indeed be destroyed. And that cheap-looking price earnings multiple will suddenly go high sky because the earnings are going to go way down. That's one reason I hesitate to recommend the classic cyclical stocks on the show. They tend to blow up in your face whenever the economy takes a hit. 
Given the harsh stance of the Federal Reserve and a sudden tightening of credit because of the bank mini crisis, it's likely we could end up in a recession, which is normally the kiss of death for the cyclicals. Owning these stocks is almost like a giant game of chicken. The cyclicals go up and up and up and up and up, and then, and then they, they go way down. But you're left holding the bag if you don't jump off when they're still going up. No matter how well they're doing on the way up, the moment one of these companies has a down year, meaning the earnings per share are lower than the last, you know the stock is going to get pulverized. Can you ride out a downturn, you might ask? In my experience, no. There's just too much pain. The house of pain. And even if the stock in question has a good yield, it doesn't matter. In a slowdown, the boom and bust cyclicals simply aren't worth owning. And by the way, you'll be worried about the dividend in a real slowdown. So which stocks most resemble the classic cyclicals, at least when it comes to the price earnings multiples? Right now, there are five groups that match my description. The oil refiners, the steel makers, fertilizer companies, automakers, and the dealers, by the way, and finally, the rental car companies. I'm going to cover these all week, not in that order, though. But tonight, let's start with their fires. Notice, even though the price of crude soared today in response to the big OPEC plus production cuts, the pure play refiners didn't get much lift. Hey, by the way, speaking of OPEC, there's nobody better on all this stuff than our own Brian Sullivan. you got to watch Last Call tonight because he covers OPEC from every single angle. Okay, while the big integrated oils do a ton of refining, tonight I want to focus on two gigantic independents, Valero and, Metherian, and Metherian, uh, Marathon Pete. Valero is actually down today. Marathon Pete only rallied less than a, a dollar. By the way, that's actually the right reaction. The refiners make their best money when there's a big spread between what they pay for oil and what they charge you at the pump. A sudden increase in the price of crude doesn't help them unless they can immediately raise gas prices uh, enough to compensate, which is almost impossible. Still, these refiners are immensely profitable at the moment. But their numbers are highly variable. And right now, their stocks trade at ultra-low price to multiples, meaning Wall Street assumes their earnings are about to go up in smoke. So let's look at the numbers. Consider the history. In 2017, Valero made $9.16 per share, okay? In 2018, 2017, it made $7.29. Then see $2019, $5.84. Uh, the earnings then dropped all the way down uh, in the disastrous 2020. That's the pandemic speaking. Lost $3.50 per share uh, as driving dropped dramatically thanks to COVID. But Valero's earnings then rebounded to $2.27. And then look at this. This is true cyclical behavior. It goes to $29.11. It's crazy. Look at this. So it's, it's up, down, 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 up, up, but up big. With any commodity play, you want to be sure you have the right comparisons, okay? So now let's look at Marathon Pete's numbers, too. In 2017, they made $3.79, okay? In 2018, $5.75. In 2019, $5.62. Then in 2020, COVID slowed everything down. They lost $1.52. And then it rebounded to $237. And then look at this, $26.63. An incredible year. But can these numbers be repeated? Almost impossible. Marathon returned a great deal of those profits to its shareholders. They had a big buyback. The share counts went from $659 million in 2019 all the way down to $465 million in the last 12 months. Dividend growers, uh, dividend growth a little less consistent, although it's still going from $2.12 in 2019 to $2.49 last year. Valero played it differently, though. While these guys consistently shrank their share count from $413 million in 2019 to $380 million in the last 12 months, that's much less voracious buyback than we saw from Marathon. Valero's also been stingier with its dividend because of its big capital expenditure commitments and its huge balance sheet cleanup that it had to do. But now here's the rub. Valero's stock went from 
2018 to 138 today. You might say, look, oh, that's terrific. Why what a nice long-term gain? Why not own cyclicals for the long haul and just play through the pain? Sounds good until you consider how the stock got here. Sure, it was at $96 five years ago, but look what it did. It plunged to $31 at its lows in 2020. Didn't return to 2018 levels until March of last year. That's a roller coaster that's too tough for most of you to be on. During the same five-year period, Marathon Pete ran from $72 to $135. Not bad, right? But the stock plunged to $15 during the worst of the pandemic. So my fear with you is that you'll own it here, then you get here and you'll panic. That's what people do. I'm not saying you'll do it. I don't want you to do it, but you panic, and then you'll watch this goes without you. Now, here's where it gets tricky. You want to own these for the phenomenal rallies and avoid the 16 declines. So how do you see the declines coming? Now, this is different. Rather than the earnings, you're looking at street estimates. This is what tells you. So Marathon earned $26.10 per share last year. We've got that, right? Now, this year, they're only expected to earn $23.38. This is an estimate. It's not for real, right? It's what the analysts think. Wall Street's looking for just $13.50 in estimates in 24, and then $11.89 in 25. So look at this. They are thinking that the best of the times is over, and it's all downhill from here. Valero's got the same expected trajectory, with 2023 being the first in a series of down years. This is what's scaring people. It's the estimates, not what happened before, but what's going to happen in the future. Sure, they did incredibly well last year, but Wall Street's saying that performance can't be repeated. In part, because there's simply less demand for gasoline in a slowdown, and also because, I mean, those are once-in-a-lifetime numbers. Meanwhile, the stocks are being impacted by environmental worries, even as the refiners try to make cleaner and renewable fuels good luck. And the big worry here is electric vehicles. That's the existential long-term worry. While electric are still a small fraction of our auto fleet, there were $370 billion worth of clean energy incentives in the so-called Inflation Reduction Act. And that makes many investors worry about what the future holds for these old-fashioned refiners, Valero or Marathon. So what happens now? If you were headed for a slowdown and you don't see the price of oil holding up here around $80, which can impact refinery margins, they simply can't own these stocks. The fact that they both made a killing last year is actually a bad sign, not a good one. It means the earnings may have already peaked. And that's where you got to fear. Peak. And that's why even though Valero and Marathon are both profitable now, even though they sell for around six times earnings, they, even though they've got decent dividends, none of that will protect you when the earnings start coming down. What could go wrong with the negative view? Lots of refining capacity is going offline the last couple of years. These companies have worked hard to keep their costs lower. If we get more production cuts from OPEC Plus, like we had today, and China also starts consuming oil in record volume, and Valero and Marathon Peak can raise prices at the pump without losing customers, tall orders, but they will win. But it's difficult to see all that good stuff happening. Bottom line. I try to keep an open mind about these ultra-low uh, price earnings multiple stocks, but when you see a company that's had a huge earnings spike and you see the estimates coming down in the out years, you got to ask yourself if that's sustainable. I think there was an incredible moment for the refiners, but that moment has now come and gone. Their money's packed it for the break. Coming up, need some more bang for your buck? Kramer continues his list of low multiple stocks next. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. 
You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Right now, the auto companies are seeing some of the most intense demand in history. Yet their stocks sell ridiculously low price earnings multiples. How is that possible? All week, we're talking about the have-nots, the stocks that sell at rock-bottom valuations. And that means we have to tackle the market's intense dislike for Ford and General Motors, which sell at roughly seven and six times earnings, respectively. Like I told you earlier with the refiners, whenever you see a stock trading at a mid-single-digit price-to-earnings multiple, you should assume the earnings estimates are about to come way down. But year over year, and if, I got to tell you, for the next two or three years, if you look at the estimates, and that, so therefore they're not going to turn up anytime soon. The analysts already assume Ford and GM will both have down years in 2023, some genuine earnings shrinkage versus 2022. But when you read through what these analysts are saying, I, I think that they actually believe the estimates will be a pipe dream, that they actually their own numbers won't be able to be made. Why? Because Ford and GM are widely perceived as having missed the boat. They didn't have enough cars and trucks when demand was off the charts. Now they have too many when the economy is slowing down. At the same time, there's the existential threat of Tesla, which just reported delivering more than 422,000 vehicles in the first quarter. Many more than Ford and GM's electric divisions combined. GM's aiming to produce that many electrics in total from 2022 through the first half of 2024. Ford wants to exit this year at an annual run rate of 600,000 electrics, which would make it the number two player. I think the only reason Ford's stock is slightly more more expensive than, than GM's, though, is that Ford CEO Jim Farley instituted a 60-cent dividend when the share price was much higher, and the 4.73% yield puts a floor under it around 12 bucks. So let me tell you the bear thesis that's keeping these two stocks back, and then let's see if we should believe it. First, we're headed for a cyclical downturn in auto sales. In the last year, auto loan rates have jumped from 5.6% to nearly 9%. The average car payment is now $784 or $84 per month, which is way too high if we start seeing lots of layoffs. That's what usually happens at this point in the business cycle, so we have to be careful. Second, many of the smartest investors I know simply don't believe either company can handle that very difficult transition from electric, from internal combustion engines to electric vehicles, nor can they figure out the balancing act. What should be more, EV, or ICE? The pure play Tesla has an edge because of that. Even with all the hard-to-grasp incentives in the Inflation Reduction Act, they're mainly aimed at traditionally, uh, traditional automakers with heavily unionized workforces, namely Ford and GM. The transition, I have to admit, will be difficult. No one says it won't be. Ford's aiming to earn $13 billion from internal combustion engines while losing $3 billion on electrics. Some people think that $3 billion is not a bad thing. 
I think the stock sells for around seven times earnings because Wall Street's betting the internal combustion projections are too high and the projected electric losses are too low. They're both going to go the wrong way. Meanwhile, GM's committed to electric, but it's also investing heavily in self-driving cars and ride-hailing. They talk about generating $80 billion in sales by 2030 from ride-hailing. And I've got to tell you, it would be fantastic. But Wall Street doesn't buy it or else the stock would have a much higher valuation because that's a nice growth path. Of course, the myriad bears on Ford and GM wouldn't be digging in their paws this boldly if both companies hadn't missed the mark last year thanks to supply chain woes and in the case of Ford, troubling warranty issues. GM always had a reliable China to offset whatever weaknesses had it here. But GM's market share in China has declined from 15% down to about 10%. Maybe the reopening of the Chinese economy will help. We just don't know yet. It's tough to judge. So if it's tough to judge, then you send the price series multiple lower. GM, for example, announced today it just sold a staggering 600,000 vehicles in the first quarter in this country, up 18%. The stock went lower. Again, a sign that nobody thinks the pace can continue. On top of that, even after multiple cutbacks and buyouts, both companies are viewed as being way too bloated. Ford's white-collar employee to internal combustion engine part ratio is ridiculously high. That's a huge black mark. I like that ratio. Uh, put it all together, and if you buy Ford or GM here you're th- and, and you think the stocks are cheap, well, a lot of people be saying you're throwing yourself headfirst into a value trap, where over time the profit margins spiral lower until both companies just seem like very expensive antiques even if they keep delivering like GM did today. All right, so then you got to ask yourself, all right, big talker, why does your charitable trust own the Ford Motor Company for the charitable trust? All right, you can follow that by joining the CBC Investing Club. And I keep, but let me give you the skinny. Let me give you the short-term look. I just told you the bear thesis, but you know what? doesn't mean I'm really a believer in it. See, first, despite higher rates, despite the battery plant fire, despite the unbelievable supply chain issues and the recall notices, I got two for my for my Maverick alone. I think this will be a breakout quarter for Ford. I'm betting it will beat the numbers and be able to cut down on costs for its internal combustion business, even as the electric vehicle business will remain incredibly expensive. That's earnings leverage on a grand scale. And it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, it, it, you know, I've got to tell you, this thing could be like this, if it gets it right, okay? The numbers could explode. Second, Tesla may be the king of electric cars, but its pickup truck ambitions have been scaled back so aggressively, they sound positively boutique. Meanwhile, Ford's had to put in two price increases for the F-150 Lightning because of higher costs. And do you know there's been no sales degradation? That's because, lo and behold, Ford has a product that people want. That matters. The F-150 Lightning is an unbridled hit. And while the Mustang E had to cut prices to stay competitive with Tesla, I think its sales trajectory could make it so the incremental dollar of profit per car will be rising. Third, if you believe the Ford, that's ultimately, not right, not this quarter. Third, if you believe the Fed, the Fed can engineer soft landing for the economy, you know what stocks people are going to really go to? A soft, it's like, here's what money managers think. Soft landing? Oh, soft landing? Buy Ford. That's how they think. Soft landing by GM. They're going to be the two biggest beneficiaries because the soft landing implies lower raw costs, no supply issues, and wages that are steady, even if unemployment rises to 4%, which is what I expect because there's still enough people who are working that will buy cars. Does that make Ford a buy? Yes. Yes. See, because not many things have to go right if we get a soft landing. And look, even if we get a hard landing, I think the dividend protects you on the way down. I don't think that's in jeopardy. 
Now, there's a downshift for certain in selling of cars, and you can see that easily by looking at another way. Look at the price earnings multiples of the of Lithium Motors and AutoNation. Those are two giant dealership chains. Both of these very well-run companies sell for roughly more than six times earnings, simply because they're expected, again, to have a down year in 2023. I can't vouch for Lithium, but I will say this. AutoNation had 100 million shares outstanding in 2016. Now they have 50 million, with the biggest part of that buyback happening in the last three years, when the share count went from 88 million to 50 million. In a lot of ways, I think that's the most confidence-boosting piece of data out there for that stock, other than the bullish comments from, from Ford, Jim Farley, and GM's Mary Barra, two of the most capable executives in any industry that things aren't so bad out there. They're not so bad out there. Here's the bottom line. Most of the time, I believe you're taking your life in your hands when you buy stocks with ridiculously low price earnings multiples. But in the case of Ford and GM, I think the bear case is just too pessimistic especially in the transition to electric vehicles and the state of the broader economy. Let's go to Ann in Indiana. Ann. Jim, I'm a club member. The annual meeting was amazing. Thanks for everything. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's nice. Yeah. Uh, calling about Pioneer because even after today, I'm underwater about 5%. It's become a big position for me, though, because I bought on the way down. So should I just trim and bite the bullet? My first loss is my best loss or just hold on until I'm back in the green? Okay, let's take what Ann says as a, in a larger point of view, because she's absolutely right. I did the same thing that Ann did for my travel trust. We bought on the way down. As we're going up, I was talking to Jeff Marks. This could become a very big position. But, Ann, we like the yield. We think if there's a floor on oil, that means that there's more than likely than not a very big return on capital by Scott Sheffield, the, G, the uh, CEO. So I've got to tell you, Ann, I want you to stay put. Okay, stay put in this one. We'll trim some others. We're not going to trim Pioneer. How about our old friend Dave in Illinois? Dave. Dr. Kramer, my mad vegetable gardening friend, how are you? I am getting ready to do some planting. I was looking at the beds the other day, and I'm trying to figure out, Dave, how much should be by seed and how much should be by flat? And we're not sure yet. How can I help? Jim, this firm provides professional consulting services for businesses, including AI and data center management. Its shares are largely owned by institutional investors, including Vanguard, BlackRock, and State Street. Accenture easily beat second quarter analyst estimates just 10 days ago by implementing expense controls and layoffs. Seems to me to be a solid runway ahead of, for growth. Jim, how do you see it? Once again, Dave from Illinois just comes in and just rocks it. I watched Julie Sweet when she was on uh, the hour after me, Squawk on the Street, and I thought she did a fantastic job, and I agree with you. I like Accenture very much. It's been one of my favorites for quite a long time. All right. I think the street is too bearish on Ford and GM right now, and they're not value traps. I think things can go right. I like the other side of the trade for the legacy automakers. Much more made my head. I'm taking a closer look at the winners and losers of the first three months of 2023 so that you can set your portfolio straight for the start of the second quarter. Then the numbers coming out of China right now show that that country is coming back and it's coming back fast. Well, what's behind it and can it continue? I'm going to think of the situation. And oil calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer.
We closed the books on a crazy first quarter last Friday, a quarter where the market had some wild mood swings. In January, we thought inflation was finally whipped, so the growth stocks came roaring back. In February, we got some hotter economic data. Stocks wobbled. By early March, we got a miniature banking crisis, three bank runs, which forced the Federal Reserve to stay its hand and only raise interest rates by a quarter point, when 50 basis points had been in the cards not long before the meeting. Now, Wall Street seems convinced that the Fed is nearing the end of its tightening cycle, which is why the averages finished March strong. Ultimately, the Dow Jones was basically flat for the first quarter, while the S&P gained 7%. NASDAQ jumped 17%, with the tech-heavy NASDAQ 100 surging more than 20%. New bull market. Nobody could have predicted that kind of action three months ago. So before any season begins in earnest next week, it's next Friday with the banks, we need to assess where we've come from. Specifically, I want to look at the best and worst performers in the S&P 500 during the first quarter to see if they can tell us anything about the character of this market. The best stock in the S&P last quarter, I'm actually proud of this, I have to admit, is indeed NVIDIA, Kramer fave, maybe Uber Kramer fave. This move is all about the generative artificial intelligence, which exploded onto the scene recently thanks to the popularity of ChatGPT. As word of this program spread, people quickly realized the technology behind generative AI is all NVIDIA. So the stock went into overdrive. Remember, this was one of the worst performers last year as every high-flying growth stock got obliterated. Now, though, NVIDIA has already erased 70% of its peak to trough decline. Of course, the stock could run out of steam here after nearly doubling in a single quarter. But I am at the point where I don't really care about those short-term moves anymore when it comes to NVIDIA. See, for me, NVIDIA is now a member of the elite own-it-don't-trade-a-club right alongside Apple. Second best performer, another one. We've like meta platforms up 76%. This thing's been roaring ever since CEO Mark Zuckerberg got religion on cost cuts. In two major rounds of layoffs, he's let go of roughly a quarter of the workforce. Jeez. Every time we hear from him, Zuckerberg talks about 2023 as Meta's, and I quote, year of efficiency, which is music to Wall Street's ears. At the same time, Meta's gotten a boost from Reels, its alternative to the Chinese TikTok, uh, which our government might want to ban. Either way, the stock's now back up to 21 times earnings, but that doesn't seem too expensive if Meta's cost cuts to reignite their earnings growth, and we get just every slight little bit of revenue growth. Third place is Tesla up 68%. Today, everyone's talking about the first quarter delivery numbers Tesla announced over the weekend, which was slightly below some expectations. Even after the company enacted major price cuts this year, deliveries were only up 4% versus the previous quarter, which is why the stock got hit. My view, I love Tesla, the company, but it's hard to pound the table on any stock that sells for nearly 50 times earnings in this particular environment. Although, if the market's newfound love affair with growth stocks can continue, this one's going to keep winning. Next, the fourth best performer was an odd one, Warner Brothers Discovery, up 59%. Now, here's another stock that got beaten down last year. Remember, Warner Brothers was spun off by ATT and merged with Discovery almost exactly a year ago. And the stock spent its first eight months getting obliterated, flowing from the high 20s down to eight bucks and change in late December. Now it's back to the mid-teens as Wall Street realized this thing has simply gotten too hated. My view, I love their content. I, I better believe I watched this session last night. And if you like Apple TV Plus shows like Ted Lasso or Shrinking, you should know that those are made by Warner Brothers. But I can't get behind this one because of that hideous balance sheet. I'd rather go with Disney or Netflix until they pay down more debt. Rounding out the top five, we've got Align Technology. What a comeback to make of Invisalign braces. It had slipped with its stock up more than 58% in the first quarter. Before COVID, Align was one of the best growth stories out there, but the stock plunged from 737 at its highs in late 2021 down to 172 at its lows last November. There had been a big slowdown in the business, but it now looks like things have stabilized. They're seeing positive sequential case growth again for the first time in six quarters. 
quarters. After the recent rally line, still eh, selling for 40 times earnings. That's a little rich, too tough to recommend. But if they can make the numbers and Wall Street doesn't turn against growth again, then I think the stock can go higher. Let me highlight a couple more before we get to the losers. Two charitable trust names came in at sixth and seventh place. I'm talking about AMD and Salesforce, both up more than 50% in the first quarter after big declines last year. I still love them. We're not selling. But we can't bar you from ringing the register if you bought some of it at the end of the last year and had that giant spike. That said, I've got to tell you, I think they both have more room to run. All right, let's go to the baddies. Let's talk about the five worst performers in the S&P from the first quarter. The fifth worst performer was Dish Networks, off more than 33%. These guys keep losing subscribers. Their plan expansion to cell phone plan is going poorly, and their balance sheet's hideous with some big debts coming due next year. Distinctly suboptimal situation, even with what I believe to be some decent spectrum, just not enough of it. Fourth worst, Comerica, which finished the quarter down 35%, although the entirety of that loss was from March. Comerica is a regional bank, not one of the better ones, so it got clobbered by the mini banking crisis. I think you need to be very careful. You want to bottom fish in the regional banks, and Comerica does not have my blessing. Third worst performer in the S&P is Charles Schwab. Jeez, another down day today. It's a victim of the banking crisis, off 37% for the quarter. Unlike Comerica, I think Schwab might be innocent, which is why I recommended it a week ago. This discount brokerage firm has little in common with the regional banks. Even though they do have some big unrealized losses in their bond portfolio, one of the things that killed Silicon Valley Bank, they won't be forced to sell those bonds even if all of their deposits vanish, and that's not going to happen. It's very unlikely. I think all the negatives are actually getting baked in here and Schwab can go higher, but it's not for the squeamish and it may not turn around on a dime. Finally, the two biggest losers in the S&P were naturally two more banks. Zions Bank Corp down 39%. Here we go again from the late 80s and early 90s. Still a problem, Zions. Down 39%. And First Republic, which I knew lost nearly 89%, was fact. Zions has been heavily shorted because like Silicon Valley, it's got large potential losses in its bond portfolio. But First Republic is clearly the most endangered. Many thought this would be the next regional bank to go under. Hasn't happened yet because of a combination of loans from government institutions and uh, $30 billion in deposits from a group of much larger banks. However, a lot of damage has already been done. Tough to see how First Republic regains the trust of its depositors and have the big banks have only committed to tidying them over for about three and a half months. It's not a bailout. These guys might have to put themselves up for sale, although it's hard to tell why anyone ever buy the darn thing. Either way, I wouldn't go near Zions or First Republic. Let them go up without me. Remember, in the end, the gods of earnings power matter on Wall Street, and these banks might be earnings hobble for years to come. See, that's the issue. They don't have the power to make a lot of money in this new regime. Bottom line. In the first quarter, mature tech companies let us higher, while the regional banks let us lower. So keep watching to see if that pattern holds going forward. If the techs come in after a period of consolidation, as I'm expecting, that's fine by me. We'll do some buy. Their money's back after the break. Coming up. What's in your mind, America? Give us a call. The lightning round is storming the NYSE. Next. It is time. It's time the lightning round. Good back to our back one of those teams. Play the sound. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. It's over. It's Betsy, California. Betsy. Hey, Jim. Because they're adding stores rather than cutting back on them, Matt Boss, your fave retail analyst, upgraded Booth Barn. And it's also, Jim, the beginning of rodeo season. 
thought about that. But I've got to tell you, Betsy, uh, Matt Boss also upgraded Macy's. I think Blue Barn's gotten too cheap. I've seen the stock shrink, and it doesn't make sense to me. They still got great growth prospects. Thank you for the call. David in Massachusetts. David. Yeah, booyah, Kramer. Booyah, David. What's happening? Thanks for taking my call. Jim, what's your take on uh, Simon Property? Simon Property has produced billions and billions, more than $33 billion in dividends. Simon, David Simon is a very good operator. He has a 6% yield. I think he is money. I am not going to abandon my liking of Simon Property Group. Let's go to Mike in New York. Mike, Mike, Mike. Hey, good evening, Jim. Booyah. Good evening. Booyah. Uh, Considering uh, an investment in LNC, Lincoln National Corporation. Stock's been beaten up pretty bad over the last year or so. Freshman CEO Mike, with a Mike, great pedigree. Mike, there's something wrong there. It has a too high a yield. It's got too low a P.E. We need to speak to the CEO. I mean, look, I go, I have seats at Lincoln National. I know that that's just the name of a, of a, of a field. But there's something wrong with that, with the price of the stock. I want the CEO to come on and explain to us, walk us through the numbers. They're not making sense to me. Let's go to Michael in Florida, please. Michael. Booyah. What's going on, Uncle Jim? Nah, hey, my nephew's on the phone. What's going on with you? <laughs> I'm calling from sunny South Florida, Tamarack, Florida, to be exact. What's not to love about that? Calling about... Ticker symbol R-I-G, Transocean. What do you think about the... Uh, uh, it's a lever play. I prefer Halliburton. I prefer Halliburton. They got a much better seven-year plan ahead. Trust owns Halliburton. I think that's cheaper, better, and safer. Let's go to Kevin in Illinois. Kevin. Hey, Jim. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Kevin? Good. Recent, uh, recently joined uh, the investing club and thoroughly enjoy your Thank analysis. You. I have a question on Thank you very Martin much. Marietta. Um, with the sold out yeah. cement or concrete in Texas and the global supply shortage of cement. Do you think Martin Marietta can climb higher from where it's at? Okay, it got an upgrade today and I thought it was trenchant and really terrific. And by the way, I also think Vulcan Materials is really good too. Those are terrific road build stories ahead of a big infrastructure space. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TDM Ameritrade. Coming up, Kramer makes the call. China is back. What's the reopening of this powerhouse economy mean for your portfolio? Stick with Kramer. China's real. Their economy's coming back, coming back fast. We get numbers every month from Macau, the Chinese gambling mecca, and they were just spectacular. 247% increase versus the prior year. People are only looking for 147%. Incredibly, though, those numbers are still down 51% from 2019, which shows you two things. First, that Chinese travelers are coming back. But second, maybe we're just at the beginning of this move. Remember, when our economy opened post-COVID, we saw a rush to travel and spend and go out. We learned that it's just human nature. It's why I keep talking about the long on money, short on time thesis. People would enjoy life while they can in the wake of something that was horrifying. Chinese people are no different. 
I think the analysts are just waking up to the importance of the Chinese reopening. Boeing started to get some orders from over there, and I bet that's just the tip of the iceberg. Today, in a little notice release, PPG announced it's going to have better than expected quarter. That's in part because of higher Chinese orders related to aerospace. Plus, when we heard the news that OPEC Plus is cutting back 1.1 million barrels of oil per day in production, we knew that without the China rebound, this simply wouldn't matter all that much. That's how much demand has drifted. But once China picks up, you're going to see some stabilization in pricing that at least is going to be leaving oil higher than where it was last week. I know the China theme tends to confound people. Aren't we in a pseudo-cold war with their government? Aren't they furious at our close ties with Taiwan or our refusal to sell them highest-end semiconductors and semiconductor capital equipment? Sure, but that's really only part of the story. We still buy tons of stuff from China. At the same time, I think the Chinese people love American stuff. And the Chinese Communist Party doesn't seem anxious to shut that down. Now, we know the Chinese government likes Tesla, and the numbers that came out this weekend confirm that, although the margins in market share may turn out to be suboptimal. Although the Chinese Communist Party is at odds with the U.S. government, that doesn't necessarily mean that they have all that much bearing on commerce. We know there are so many culturally shared concepts between the two countries that you can bank on some American companies making things well in China and selling them there. Take Nike. Even during the COVID downturn, Nike was putting up great numbers in China. Now, we own three companies for the charitable trust that have done remarkably well in China. Starbucks opens a new store every nine hours there because the chain's so popular with the Chinese people. S.A. Lauder's probably more in touch with the Chinese consumer than any other global consumer packaged goods company. Their high-level executives have made a point of spending a lot of time there, staying in touch with youthful buyers. I think the coming quarter will reflect that. Finally, there's Apple. What can I say? When I see Tim Cook speaking to people in China, I'm reminded that China's still trying to bring hundreds of millions of people into the middle class. No, I'm not going soft on China. I know their government doesn't seem to want to create a level playing field with American companies. But say what you will about the Chinese Communist Party, they did listen to their people and they pivoted. They changed course on COVID because they didn't want to be on the wrong side of history. Now China's economy is coming back much faster than expected. And I think you can bank on many more good things to come. I like to say there's always a market somewhere. And I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.